ready for another episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering? Good, here's Foggy. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 99. Tonight's episode is brought to you by 4411 Creative Agency. The good folks at 4411 provide custom marketing and flawless execution. Creative is their middle name. Head over to 4411creative.com to find out more. Today, we are going to tackle the new instrumental album by Mr. Steve Vai. Hopefully you know who that is. If you do not, stay tuned and listen, because I think uh, this album would definitely be worth your while. I am Foggy, your host, and joining me tonight is JPP. Easy listening sounds for the hard of hearing. It's JPP. Greetings. Greetings. The smooth stylings of Mr. JPP. Yeah, it's a little rough around the edges, but it's smooth once you get into it. It's the stylings. It's, that's where we make it up. Exactly. And joining us is none other than Metalhead Monday. Step inside into his mind. It's boy band time. It's Metalhead Monday. Greetings and salutations. We're gonna, uh, stepping inside into your mind right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I read your, <laughs> your greeting on a spider web once. <laughs> awesome. Gentlemen, tonight we are... Is this our... This is our first instrumental, right? Uh, uh, well, yeah, probably. I mean, we did Mark Morton, but he had some guest singers on there. Yeah, this is like the first full instrumental album. Probably. Yeah. It's it's interesting, too, because usually when you think of an instrumental, you think of a score to a movie, which that's kind of easy to get away with because we all have visuals in our mind to attach to the music. So it'll be interesting to see how we handle this when you've got, the, in this case, nine songs. Some were kind of long, but we had nothing to hold on to, just the instrumental, so... Did we cover the uh, the second Nine Inch Nails Ghost? Did we do that on the show? Actually, I think we did. We did so one of the... Yeah, I think we did, actually. So that's technically instrumental stuff, right? <laughs> it was, and I don't think it went over super well with all of us. No. Yeah. So that's even makes this more interesting. Um, and when you have somebody like Steve Vai, you just you kind of picture shredding in your head and... I think in a good way, we, it's not what we got. Yeah. So I say we dig right in and we start off with Mr. Metalhead. Well, before we get into the album, um, you saw, you saw like the album cover, he released that and they released a video. Ibanez <laughs> released this video of this guitar that they have come up with Ibanez and Steve Vai. Uh, it's called the Hydra, and it is insane looking. Uh, I mean, looking at it from a distance, it looks kind of like a dragon head, and it's got three necks coming off of it. It's got this big, like, kind of half circle gap in it with strings going across that, and we're like, what is this thing? But the video is pretty cool. It breaks it down pretty nicely. It's got a 12-string guitar neck, which is half fretless, from about the i think the seventh fret up to the higher notes 
Um, it has a base neck, which is half fretless in a different way. Uh, it is fretless on the lower strings, the lower two strings. Uh, it has like your basic seven string neck and the, the cutout with the strings across it, that is 13 harp strings. And it's got all kinds of crazy gadgets and it has like buttons and knobs and levers and everything to control the different functions and to switch between pickups and all that. But it's got all kinds of crazy stuff on it that most of it, I don't know what it is because I'm not a musician. So my favorite thing was there's something called a seducer and I don't think that's a real thing. Um, I, I actually watched a reaction video of a guitarist that was looking at it and he was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but there's like a sample meter. Um, there's, there's like a section that has like three tubes sticking out of it that they call that the climax regulator. I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, an optional lamp input. I don't know what a lamp is in regards to a guitar. I think but he was it, plugging into an actual lamp so he could yeah, see I don't know. the dark. <laughs> and, and it has like an Ethernet output and all kinds of craziness. So Paul is our resident musician. I, you got anything on any of that? Um, a lot of it, hype. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure there is some proprietary function going on with some pieces of it. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident a portion of it's also for theatrics. If he's playing this thing out live, it's going to have to wow people visually too. Um, but like the ethernet cable would make sense because with that, you can distribute a wide array of channels of audio into yeah. one system. So the uh, guy I was watching said the ethernet could also be for like uh foot controls switching mm -hmm. from the different functions instead of using the doodads on the guitar. Yeah. And it could be even a hybrid of both because they use portions of it for audio, the other portion for control change information, things like that. Cause I mean, this thing's going to keep him busy on stage, right? So <laughs> there's a, there's a good chance he's going to have to be multitasking in some fashion and, and efficiently at that. So um, it's certainly interesting. I, I got to say that I do everything I can to wrangle one guitar in my hand, let alone, one with three necks and every doodad known to man. I mean, at this point, it's pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But uh, it's certainly pretty wild and, and really cool. I'd hate to see them mass produce this thing. That would be a production nightmare. Uh, yeah, I can't even imagine how much that would cost. I look at it and I'm like, that thing's got to be super heavy. Right. <laughs> Unless they've got some sort of composite material or something that they use to make the body lighter with a, a touch of wood or something. It's hard to say. It just cumbersome too. I mean, playing the bottom neck or, or trying to figure out how to hold it when you're playing the harp portion, which actually runs perpendicular to the necks. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I just think from that perspective, I don't even know how you play the damn thing. So well, that would be super cool to watch him on stage yes. go neck to neck to harp to, to recording shows on the internet through his Ethernet port while he's missing <laughs> those in, on stage, you know? Yeah, no doubt. I'm curious because refresh my memory, Monday. Was it in his David Lee Roth days that he had the like the five neck guitar? He had one with multiple necks at one point. Uh, I think he's had several. He he had the one that was heart shaped. Yeah, had like two necks going one way and one going the other way. That's right. Yep. That's and um, he's had a few custom guitars. He's there's one I think that I mean it looks like a like a, an arch of guitar necks. I don't know how functional that one is, but it's got 
several <laughs> necks coming off of it. But yeah, he's done several like weird custom guitars over the years. Yeah, the the heart shaped one looks like there's one with three necks. One goes up one way, and the other two go the other. Yeah, uh, I'm looking now, and he's got a three neck gem. It looks like, and yeah, there, there's a handful of them. And then of course Michael Badio, uh, Michelangelo as he's known, has yeah. ones that he plays <laughs> ambidextrously on both sides at the same time, and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. So there's there's some there's some wild musicians out there. Yeah, I think what we'll do is on the website we'll post a quick article with all of the different guitars he's used so everybody can see them cool yeah it's pretty cool but this talking about the hydra leads into the first track this album is called inviolate and the first track is called teeth of the hydra and in everything i read like the research i saw because you know i do my own research um the Teeth of the Hydra is the only song that he actually used this on. So if you listen back through it, like you can kind of hear all the different stuff. Right cool. on. Yeah, but, I didn't uh, realize re- that that was the case. Yeah, the rest of it is mostly like there's one song he talked about using a like a strat, which he normally doesn't do. Uh, the, the single little pretty, I think they said was like a, a hollow body. I don't remember if it was a Gretsch or not, but it was like a hollow body guitar, which is also something he doesn't use a lot. So it's, he used a lot of different stuff. You know, it's interesting though, when you say that he used that on teeth of the Hydra, one of the things that I wrote in my notes as I was doing this was it gave a feel for everything to come. So like every song had Mm -hmm. something a little different, but it felt like every little element of that was in Teeth of the Hydra. Yeah, and if he's using that Hydra on that track, that makes sense because he's switching to all this different stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's like, and then the rest of the album is kind of all over the place. So that that makes sense. So would you guys rate Teeth of the Hydra as a solid album opener, as we always do on the show? Absolutely. I would. I certainly would. I thought it was... um very good energy uh a lot of throwback to some of the classic vi elements a lot of what i listened to in the past was passion and warfare Mm -hmm. uh that era if you will and there's a lot of that original magic kind of sprinkled throughout this album i think yeah this one i mean it's definitely once you start listening to it and it gets into it it's very much steve vi's sound which is pretty singular by now i mean i think he kind of from the mid 80s on like his first solo album i think came out in 84 flexible Mm -hmm. and from then on i think he's kind of i don't know easily defined a certain style of guitar and he's definitely honed his style over the years and this it definitely comes through in this whole album there's so many moments where you're like yep that's steve vi yep that's steve vi (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so and this one i thought this it was very cool there's a lot of a lot of cool grooves going on this one a lot of cool ambient noises in the background bass work is ridiculous which uh, i mean some of it obviously is him because he used the hydra so very cool song groovy agreed i had it it was a great album opener so i think we all agree that mm-hmm. he definitely started off the album in the right way and then that brings us to the second song, Zeus and Chains, which for me felt a lot like a prog rock song. There was a, a, a guitar hook 
that he had. And then, so he, he kind of grabbed us with that hook and then throughout they would take these, it would have like a repetitive build and then a guitar solo and a breakdown that halfway in, it had the coolest slow guitar breakdown and then it built up again and returned back to that super catchy hook that he started at the beginning. And so for me, that in some ways felt like a, a prog rock song. And I thought Zeus and Chains was excellent. I would agree with that. Uh, some very solid grooves. That riff change you're talking about, I wrote that came at like the 144 mark. And I, yeah, when that kicked in, I was like, ooh, that's like, it's kind of beefy. It was, it was really good. But yeah, this Zeus and Chains is another highlight for me. I, I like, sometimes I have trouble listening to the Shredders just because they get crazy and a song like this that has some really solid grooves that i could kind of concentrate on while he's noodling around and that's kind of more my speed and i really dug this one yeah and that's the thing about vi too i think he really embraces melody and direction a lot more than some of the other shredders that are out there because it's all about the noodle fest right it's a big pasta dinner noodle 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 but at the end of the day He's he's got a theme. He's got a vibe going on. He has sections, and they kind of tell a story with with those pieces. I do get lost sometimes because, of course, when you have hooks like verses and chorus, uh, that tends to help you retain the the attention, if you will, and and really kind of stick with the song and and be engaged. I guess is the word I'm looking for. But with Steve, <clears throat> excuse me, I know he his solos can kind of keep going and not necessarily repeat so much but at least he has some thematic material that keeps things familiar and and retains the hook like you mentioned too yeah i love that you just said that he tells a story because i felt like that there is almost like a story going on throughout these songs and that's why i said earlier when you've got a score to a movie you have something to hold on to when you're just listening to an entirely instrumental album you don't have anything to hold on to. Normally you get one instrumental among 12 other songs. And so you can kind of handle that. But when you've got nine in a row, there's got to be something there that pulls you in. And I think as he noodles his way through, he continues to just return to that little hook. And uh, that's what pulled me back in for every song. And then I felt like from song to song, there was just like a little bit of difference that made it interesting. It wasn't like the same thing being repeated from song to song to song. And uh, for me, that's kept me interested the entire way. And I've listened to this now probably at least 10 times and I know I'm not done. So cool. <laughs> well, that I think we move on to the third track, which is, was the first single from the album. It's called little pretty. Um, this is not my favorite song on the album. I, I don't dislike it. Uh, there's really cool. My favorite thing about it is you kind of you're listening and every once in a while you get these really heavy undertones, like these little trills of like. Brruh, brruh. Yes. Like, it, it, I was like, whoa, that's weird. And I watched this video several times kind of see if they. I don't know what they did with that, but it's the video is really just him playing in his studio. It's not it's nothing fancy, but 
Yeah, I didn't love it, but that part is kind of cool. Is interesting, kind of switches it up, kind of contrasts with the everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. This track really reminded me of the Passion of Warfare days, especially with the extra harmonies that were going on in the in the background of the leads and stuff. Especially as things kind of got wider, because um, he used that sound a lot. It's kind of like that Eventide classic harmonizer vibe. I don't know if he's using that piece or modern software that emulates it, but at the end of the day, that was a very signature early Vi moment for me that uh, kind of brought back memories for sure. And, you know, I agree. I don't think it was like my strongest, you know, uh, engaged tune or however I want to say it. it. Essentially, it's like, yeah, I dug it, but it wasn't one that I'm thinking, yeah, this was what turns me onto the album. But I think it definitely um, had good texture, good layer, good uh, uh, attention to detail. There was like little subtle int- intricacies that really kind of connected pieces and, and made it keep going. Yeah, I I feel like while like on its own, maybe I don't think it's the best song on the record. I think after Zeus and Chains and prior to Candle Power, I think it provides a nice little uh, bit in between there. It's a little catchy. It's got a, it's a little more bouncy. Mm-hmm. Um, the guitar bits, of course, are awesome as usual. But then the those little drum bits with those little half bar fills um, were like rapid fire were really cool. And I thought that's what carried that song. Um and then, of course, his guitar solo stuff was pretty amazing on there. So I think it fits with the album and keeps it, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, it makes it more interesting because it, I felt like that one was very different from the other songs, even though maybe I, on its own, I didn't love it as much. Like Candle Power? Yeah. I did love. <laughs> you guys? Yeah, it's snappy. <laughs> and it kind of makes me wonder if that's the Strat tune because it's got a lot of bite to it. Um wow. I believe it is. I thought um, greenish blues might have been. No, I think I'm pretty sure Candle Power is the Strat tune. I did write down like on I saw something about this where this is he does <clears throat> not use a pick and he does not use a whammy bar. Hmm. Well, he on bends this song. like crazy. So on it's it. all. Yeah, it's all finger picking. A lot of cool bendy noises and stuff, and uh, the bass and drums are super on point in this song. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, you can tell he's playing differently. Yeah. I, I, I mean, my ears can't determine that he's actually playing a different kind of guitar. Really, I, I'm not, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can tell he's switching it up style wise. Yeah, and I think the one thing that's interesting about this, too, is like while the guitar is snappy, the bass is doing the slap pop stuff, and the snare is extra bright, too. So Mm -hmm, everything mm -hmm. is staying uniform in that texture. So um, there's pieces of music that, you know, if I were to listen to an amateur band play this material, I think I wouldn't be as energized with it because of the fact they wouldn't have that attention to detail that Steve does. I mean, everything is fully intentional, and, uh, you know, it's like, what type of canvas are you using? How thick is the paint on the canvas? That kind of thing. This is the stuff that, you know, he's made of. I mean, of course, he's a guitar god to many, but he goes beyond that, right? And, and you know, my summary, basically, I was going to get it with this album. I won't go too long, but kind of like how I'm all about Aphex Twin because he defies the laws of commonplace nature with, you know, poppy electronic music and stuff like that. He goes and digs deep and is kind of a mad scientist with it. Steve Vai is the same thing with the guitar. And, you know, I think we have 
people in every style of music that tends to do that. Um, I can't speak for country because I don't know of any mad scientists in country. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, country isn't country anymore anyway. So we'll this move is true. On. Yeah, <clears throat> but you know, there's <clears throat> there's just some sort of um, extra finesse that um, he puts on on tunes that others would completely ignore, and that's what I love about this track. I agree. And again, as far as building the album goes, it was a short one. Little Pretty was over six minutes long. You know, this one's like three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's just real up-tempo, kind of a jazzy blues vibe going on. And um, again, just like the last one, really cool drums accompanying it. So in some ways, we're, we're here to listen to the guitar, but the accompanying music was fantastic and really highlighted the guitar in these songs. Mm-hmm. I loved Candle Power. It's one of my highlights from the record. Yeah, and it's cool too. Like to that point, how the all the instruments have moments. Of course, the guitar is going to shine because it's kind of the prominent feature. But there's times when the drums really stand out. There's times when the bass really stands out too. So uh, everything kind of ebbs and flows very nicely. All right, I Apollo agree. in color. What do y'all think? Uh, I think this song has the viest of vi openings. <laughs> like, <laughs> as soon as yeah. it starts, you're like, oh, yeah, Wee. I remember that. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and there's a there's kind of a, a very significant change, at like around a minute 30, where that it, he does this little section that kind of sounds like a movie score almost. A, a lot of this song, I think I could I can picture playing along with the movie but that change at a minute 30 is i'm like i mean it just sounds like movie music <laughs> i wrote down two-thirds of the way through there was a killer bass groove that kicked in and started to dominate and i love that it had this super cool high tempo jazzy feel and then i think and i probably am wrong but it felt like maybe at the end there were the harp strings because <laughs> I was trying to listen for it. And it felt like maybe there was a point there where we heard the harp. I don't know. There was some definitely some noises towards the end that were not necessarily his strict guitar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you think- never know with him because he uses so many different effects and stuff. And a lot of his stuff, I feel like you could probably hear that if you wanted to. A lot of his effects. And uh, it's could be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I know what you're yeah. saying, though. Yeah. It's hard to say, and, and I, I listen to music critically to kind of see if I can figure out what's going on, but a lot of times with Vi, I'm just like, forget it. <laughs> but um, this is actually, I wouldn't say it's one of the busier tunes on, on the album, but I definitely hear a lot more kind of freeform going on, right? Like there's some faster passages. There's certainly some, um, it, almost, it almost kind of sounds improvisatory, even though it probably isn't, but it just has a jam feel to it too especially in the middle of the tune and i really enjoyed that as well and you know i've never had the pleasure of seeing him live but this is one of those tunes i'd like to see live and see how it goes yeah it's just interesting you just feel like some of these songs are just so intelligent they just they're in your face they mm-hmm. they just simply seem like just oh, it's just a song it's just an instrumental but there's something there that just is really intelligent behind it all yeah and that's that full-on attention to detail and intent mm-hmm but I keep uh, mentioning it's going to be my redundant phrase of the, of the day. Redundantly. I like it. Say it again. Redundant. Redundantly. <laughs> Redundant. Sorry. I'm multitasking. All right. Uh, that moves on to Avalancha. This was one of the highlights for me. Uh, as I said about like 
Teeth of the Hydra and Zeus and Chains. I'm a sucker for a great groove, and it's all over this one. It's mm-hmm. some really, really serious, fun grooves underneath all of Vi's theatrics, and uh, it's this one's fantastic, super standout for me. Probably the most rocky mm-hmm. of the songs yeah. as it kicks I, in. I would say the yeah, the most like metal song mm-hmm. on here mm-hmm. definitely probably one of the heaviest ones yeah the it, the melody has a lot of direction to it too. you know so it just you kind of picture his fingers flying back and forth on the neck i don't know if you know where he's got it on the guitar but nonetheless it's just clean it's executed well mm-hmm. and you know as a guitar player those are the kind of things i listen for with vi because he just it makes it sound so effortless but when i try it it's like clunk, wait wait clunk you know, <laughs> so uh you know he makes me want to retire from music sometimes <laughs> yeah i um and cool hook you know the groove was great and then What's kind of cool, though, is just on its own, it's not necessarily a great song, but then about midway through, they start adding some cool effects to it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, again, I just feel like there's like almost a prog rock feel to it, the way he returns to those little beats. and I, I think, love. yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. I think on this album, this is probably the most like head bobby song. Agree. <laughs> Yeah, and there's some cool spots where he's. It sounds like he's either vibrating a lot or using an effect or even you know hitting the whammy bar. It's kind of dissonant, but it just adds some tension in the right spots too. So, um, again, telling a story, feeling without any words. Yeah, it's just so cool. I mean, there's so many different things to latch onto in every song, which mm-hmm. is what just pulls you through the whole record. And then talk about switching up gears, yes. greenish blues. Man, this. This might be my favorite song on the album. And um, it, there was a point I was listening to it and it just was like, phew, there's like a little SRV here, a little Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm-hmm. Riviera Paradise groove going on with the way he was playing. Oh man, it was so good. Um, and then it moves on to some crazy guitar solos and then it comes back to mellow. So this song was, it was all over the place in a very good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah this like- was... Uh- when I first heard it, like the first, I think the first time through I listened, I, was, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. And then like halfway, about the midway through the song, he, his soloing just gets insane. And it, it really lost me for a minute. But then the more I listen to it, the more I appreciate the song. And I, it, I mean, the groove is great. It's just kind of slowed down and got a real, real nice, kind of sexy groove for him to just go crazy over and i i I enjoyed it it actually it made my um instrumental playlist for sure i got about four songs on here that i put on my instrumental playlist and that was one of them nice for me it's and i could probably be all wet as i tend to be um what i what i find interesting is steve's history you know he played with zappa played with david lee roth you know he's got to kind of mingle with a lot of amazing musicians so he's had a lot of very bizarre unusual and extraordinary experiences and i think this song kind of plays on that history whether if that's what he was thinking or not but it does remind me of the fact that you know he did more than just the hair metal david lee roth thing his his roots with zappa definitely stretched him beyond the avant-garde and things like that and that's what i really appreciated about this tune is it had a nice pocket a nice foundation and then you know he basically 
took the Lego foundation and crumbled it all up and rebuilt something that looks unusual yet beautiful. That's my metaphor. I'm sticking Don't with it. Don't you dare leave out White Snake now. Oh, yes. He was in White Snake, too. Anything redundant you'd like to talk about? Um, there's a snare drum that hits on the twos and fours. <laughs> oh, dude, I can really nail the two and four. Yeah, you're getting there. Give, give, I, give me the bass on the one and the three, two and the yep, four. Yep. I'm in it. This meeting will end in 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, we're totally there. And that brings us to Knapsack. And uh, another fast-paced, uh, good rebound after Greenish Blues, I thought. Um, nice drum work here, quick tempo. Had some super nasty guitar work. Um, really was shredding on this one. And then uh, at the end, it kind of brings us back down. So it yeah. was kind of cool. It was nicely placed, I think, Knapsack was on this record. I think this one is the most proggy on the album. I, I feels like a total prog rock song. Um lots of odd time signatures and you know part changes and all all kinds of that crazy dynamic stuff uh i really enjoyed on this one the keyboards i mean it's kind of sound like an electric piano but there was a lot of it and it's kind of kind of in the background kind of come to the forefront every once in a while but that i i really enjoyed the keyboards on this song yep, yep. and it had the harp around four minutes in <laughs> <laughs> gotta love a harp yeah yeah, yeah and then it's got good energy. I mean, I, I don't have much to say on it. It was just a, a, a good, you know, fun ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. And I think it was, I just really do think it was well placed on the record, which brings us to the final, the closing track, Sandman Cloud Mist, which I think was a nice track. I enjoyed it. If we're going to talk about album closers, I did not feel that this was a great album closer, personally. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of started out that way. You're like, oh, this will be a nice, slow, kind of cool down, closery song. But it just went off the rails. Like, this one almost feels like free jazz to me. <laughs> I I did love the drums in this song. Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane drum fills. Yeah. Not enough to, to, to carry it for me. I I just want the album closer to be one that really just takes this whole story that we've just gone through and just kind of puts the exclamation point on it. And I felt yeah. like it just sort of petered out towards the end. It, it did not do it. It doesn't. The, yes. The, the end of the song also, I don't like, it just kind of ends. Like it's not, I don't know. didn't <clears throat> feel great. Same JPP. Yeah. I, am I on mute? No, I'm not. Okay. Sorry. Um, I, I felt like, <laughs> Same thing. I mean, I felt like it had a lot of potential um, to kind of wind down the event. And then, you know, as I was listening, I was like, ow, I'm, I'm starting to get beat up here. What the hell <laughs> kind of thing? But, you know, as a musician, I understand, you know, the need to experiment and that sort of thing, too. And, you know, it almost like pretty much, you know, letting off some steam that didn't happen for the rest of the record. But uh, um, does it detract from the rest of the listening experience for me? No, but... Mm. I, I, I think I'll skip it if, you know, the mood has to be right for me to listen to that whole thing. Good call. Um, I have real quick, I have some, <clears throat> excuse me, information on the additional musicians. Cause I was very curious, like the bass and drums are so good. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of tried to find some stuff on that on one song. I don't, I'm not sure which one, uh, his fellow Zappa alum, Terry Bazio joined nice. him on drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the drums, I think, was a dude named Vinny 
Kolai. Kolata? I don't even know. Kolaiwata. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say that. But uh, and then on base we had Brian Beller, Philip Bino, mm-hmm. and Henrik Linder. Nice. And on keys we had David Rosenthal. None of these guys I thought was interesting are in his live band. Those are all different guys. Interesting. Hmm. Good studio yeah. guys. Apparently, probably yeah. really strong musicians. <laughs> Brian yeah. Beller is uh, is really good. He was in a band called the Aristocats, I believe. Um, he's done work with, I believe, the Death Clock, Metalocalypse fellas as well, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Um, try, let me look him up real quick. I know we don't have a lot of time. But, uh, yeah, he, um, yeah, let's see here. Yeah, he's done some melodic death metal. Uh, associated melodic with Mike, Ke- Mike Keneally, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Death Clock, Galacticon, James Labrie, The Aristocrats. I did see The Aristocrats with uh, Guthrie Govan a few years ago with a buddy of mine and a uh, solid freaking band. It was mm-hmm. amazing. So Very um, cool. Yeah, really, really top-notch musicians. If you get a chance to kind of chase the rabbit hole of where Brian's been, go, go listen to some stuff. I highly recommend it. Cool. All right. All right, JPP, we'll start with you. What do you rate the record, and will you listen again? I'm going to give it a three and a half. Um, <clears throat> I liked it. I will listen to it again. But my my days of chasing the guitar have kind of lost me, only because I'm a busy dad and all that stuff. I love to play, um, you know, that kind of thing. And I love listening to Vi when I can, too. But there are times when I listen, and it just depresses me, because it's like, man, I don't have time to devote my days to be in a studio and in whale and all that kind of stuff and i have friends that to this day chase his vibe and his sound and and uh i just can't do it i like having a good solid riff and writing some songs and having some fun and that's you know what keeps me sane <laughs> at the end of the day but uh hats off to vi for continuing i wish him a speedy recovery and a surgery and uh if he comes around locally i, I hope to try to catch him Fiddlehead, what do you think I've been a Vi fan for a long time. I mean, I first heard about him, I think. Well, I mean, David Lee Roth, obviously. David Lee Roth and White Snake, a huge fan of that stuff. And then I, you know, listened to his uh, early solo albums, Flexible, and of course, you know, the ultimate Passion of Warfare. Um, Big fan. This album was you know, uh, it was good. It's not something I'm going to come back to a lot. I put the tracks that I loved on my instrumental playlist and I'll enjoy those forever, probably. So I, I'd, I'd probably be around 3.52, a little better than average, but not, you know, didn't blow my mind. All right. Well, I'm going to go with a 4.0. I really dug this. I think I came into it sort of uh, thinking it was not going to be as good as it was because it's hard to pull off an entirely instrumental record these days. And um, I think he did an excellent job. There was enough variation between songs that it kept me cruising the whole way. And there are some songs that I absolutely love and will continue to listen to. I don't know if I'll listen to uh, beginning to end, just like you boys, I'll probably pick out some songs to listen to, but there are definitely some that will make my forever list. So I definitely go with a 4.0 and I will listen again. And um, that's about the end of the show, but guys next week, is episode one hundo one hundo and we have one a couple minutes but i wanted to say real quick those that are listening if you're a diehard steve Vai fan um what tunes do you listen to from previous discography that 
you think we should check out. Um, you know, the Alien Love Secrets album's got some cool gems on it, for example. I want to share yes. some of those with you, Foggy. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, those that have, have been immersed in the world of Vi, what do you recommend outside of Vi? What do you recommend in this vein as well? Because, you know, this was really cool to kind of revisit. And uh, I'm, I'm eager to check out some other stuff in this vein, too. Yeah. And, you know, I've been a Vi fan since the 80s. And, um, but I did not like the 2016 record did not hit home with me. This one struck gold compared to, cool. uh, what he did I, before, th- those so. two albums, those two albums with David Lee Roth, I mean, eat Him and smile and skyscraper, absolute classics. Mm-hmm. I love every song on those him by Billy Sheehan, Greg Bissonette. You cannot beat that band. It's amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, until next week, you can find Wanderings and Wool Gathering on Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Castbox, and SoundCloud. You can find album, movie, TV, and comics reviews at wanderingandwoolgathering.com. See you next week for episode 100. Bye now.